Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Streaming services are on the rise, and -and brick-and-mortar video stores are a thing of the past. We have lost that experience of wandering the aisles and stumbling upon a film we've never heard of. We have replaced the familiar face behind the video store counter with an algorithm to recommend films. With more and more content available, 
it's harder to know what's worth watching and what might be a waste of your time. There are many hidden gems out there waiting to be discovered, and we want to help you find them. This is Trailer Rewind, a podcast where we discuss and review recently forgotten or overlooked films that are now available to stream at home. Today we are talking about Papillon 2017. This is our final film in a trio. Each film has a one-word title that is the name of the main character, and you can find our discussion on Tesla and the Loose at truestory.fm, or you can subscribe to the show on your podcatcher of choice for the full catalog of Trailer Rewind episodes. Today is April 3rd, 2021, and Papillon is available on Amazon Prime and Canopy. I love you. Say that again. You're under arrest for the murder of Roland Legrand. Got the wrong guy, pal. I was with her all night. Come on, let's go. This is a frame up. Hey, Papillon, right? Any money? Get some. Never escape without it. Louis Degas. Guy's a millionaire. Won't last long. You got a lot of eyes on you, my friend. For a little bit of that money you're carrying, I could keep you safe. Keep me alive. I'll underwrite any escape you can to arrange. Something tells me you can be quite savage. You are the property of the penal administration of French Guiana. There's no way off. There's always a way. So, JJ, this was a film that did not find its audience in theaters. Yeah. I don't know if it's found its audience anywhere just yet, is is what I would (laughs) say about it. Because I didn't even know about it. And then I see, you know, who's in it and what it's all about. And I'm like, what the heck? Why didn't I know about this movie? Right. Well, that's why we have it here on Trailer Rewind. It was released in 544 theaters back in August of 2018. That was uh, the U.S. release, and it spent about a month in theaters. It was also released internationally that fall, and with a few countries seen releases in the spring of 2019. Uh, So, you know... there was a good six-month period where this was in theaters all across the world. And right. overall, the film made just over $2 million, with half of that coming from its U.S. release. Yeah. So not, not a lot of people in seats for this one. It became available digitally on October 30th, 2018, and on Blu-ray on November 6th, 2018. And I, I vaguely remember this trailer getting picked and completely forgot about it. This is yeah. just one that I, you know, again, you mentioned the names, uh, Rami Malek and uh, Charlie Hunnam. Yes. And this this was, I checked the, the calendar. So this was like, I don't, trying to pin it down to like the time frame with like Bohemian Rhapsody and all of that. So it was in production oh, sure. yeah. before, the, you know, it was in production before that. Okay. So I don't think the hype had hit uh, with, with all of that when this was in in theaters. So it was, you know, he wasn't as visible uh, a name. Okay. At, at the time this was in theaters. So but, post uh, Mr. Robot, but pre Bohemian Rhapsody is what we think. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Exactly. And and Charlie Hunnam has just been one of these that he's been in a lot of little things, 
you know, he was in The Gentleman that we talked about on the yeah. film board. Yeah. Uh, he was in like, you know, Pacific Rim, but he's never come across as, you know, like a leading man that I think is going to draw people in based on his name and his presence. I don't know. He's a stunning looking human being. I'll just say that. And I, this is the first yes. time that I've ever seen him without a beard. He's shorn in the early part of this movie. Right. And I was yeah. shocked. I, I didn't even recognize him without that because his, you know, his, the, the thing that I had heard yes. about him first was, um, was Sons of Anarchy, but he's been around in a bunch of different oh, things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, we're going to get more into the performances later and stuff like this, but I think this is, this is something serious that he's doing to show how it's different from everything else that's out there in the world that he's been doing. So. Yeah, well, these two had had big shoes to fill. So yeah. I, I do want to say we're before we get into this film, I want to let everyone know we're this is a review of the 2017 film. We're reviewing it on its own. We're not going to be doing a comparison to the 1973 film with with Steve McQueen and Dustin Hoffman. Those are huge shoes to fill, and I think looking at this project on its own, what it was trying to accomplish is the best way to look at this. The other is is heralded as a, a classic. So I think let's look at this one and what it it tries to do and and what it does well and in the performance of these characters uh what i knew going in was that this was going to be a prison break movie and although that is part of the story to me by the end i felt like that's not what this film's really about and so i was sort of disappointed because i wanted more of the edge of your seat suspense of are they going to make it? Are they not? And it's not really so much about the escape attempts. And there are several yeah. of those. But for me, I came away a little disappointed with this film. Now, I've had time to think about it. I had a discussion with my wife. We were talking about it. She enjoyed it far more than, than I did. And so we had okay. some some discussion about it. But how did it hit you on your first viewing? Well, for me, so I thought it was going to be, you know, really focused on the prison break aspect of it too. But it turns out to me that it, it, it really reminds me something that it's more about um, human limits and human tragedy. Um, and, it, and it really kind of based on this sort of Devil's Island and these, these, these places that these that these criminals from this time, this period are placed, it really reminds me more of a thing where you're looking to watch the depths of human perseverance, human suffering. And so it reminds me more of a movie like Castaway or 127 Hours or something like this, where that's really the focus of the film. And so um, that's something right away that we should talk about that if you know, if you're looking for, for something in this film, you shouldn't come to this with that prison break. I think you and I both had that same sort of misconception. It's more about, you know, learning about sort of the limits of what humans can take and what humans go through and all that kind of stuff. It's, you know, the, how you feel about that and how you feel about that kind of genre is going to really color your uh, your perception of how much you like this film, I think. It, it definitely did for me. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that that is the one piece of advice I would say. If, if you want a suspenseful, you know, like prison break, heist movie, all of that, it, it's got... A, a sequence or two where that is part of it, but it is really not the overarching sort of feel of of the film. And so I'd say yes, definitely it, the definitely more an explanation exploration, as you said, of sort of the limits of humanity. And it's really about the relationship of these these two men over time and their own personal. 
like moral compass, I would say. So it's much more of a a character piece, which you would think with the name Papillon, which is our main character, it's his story. So it's not, you know, the the great French guy on a prison break movie. It's Papillon. So it's a story of of a man and the journey that he goes on. So yes, if you haven't seen either of these films, you know, this or the original... Just know going in, this is not the prison break film. So, so given that, where did where did you find this sort of on as, as an overall rating, you know, and ranking? How, where did this one land for you? Well, for me, it ends up ranking kind of low, and I think because okay. of that, it's because of that genre aspect of it. I don't, I don't particularly enjoy doing that sort of journey with a character unless I'm personally invested in it. I had a lot of trouble with Castaway. So there, that, that's the okay. movie that I kept thinking about throughout this. And, oh, okay. And you yeah. wouldn't think, I mean, th- there isn't a lot of similarity in the fact that, you know, we're talking about a prison versus a d- deserted island, but there is a lot of solitary. And, you know, focusing on yes. Papillon and a character, you really are going into this person in the way that it kind of happens in Castaway 2, where you learn about what what changes can happen to a person based on these sort of things they, they persevere through. So that those, this sort of film is not super, it's not something that I go to see or thing. Again, unless I'm invested in the story, invested in the character and that kind of stuff. And I wasn't in particular uh, invested in this character. So I gave it, but, but that being said, I found the film to be stunningly beautiful. I thought that the, that the way it was shot and there was a lot of really interesting things done there. So I actually give it sort of an interesting, just middle of the road rating. I think it's a fine, film and if you like this kind of movie you're gonna like it so I gave it a two and a half stars but it's a not okay. like for me and then on my and then on my flick chart it ends up ending up pretty low it it, it, it goes down to like 224 out of 249 because again every oh. time I every time I bumped up <laughs> against a movie that I kind of liked it ended up it ended up losing. So it ends up really low on that list. But so I have it just below Ready Player One, which was a film board movie, and uh, just above Cloud Atlas. And that seems oh, okay. just about right for me when I think about this film. Again, uh, it, it feels like a superior, a, a film that was made in a superior way, but a story that I just wasn't interested in and didn't really end up caring about because I was just sort of, uh, I became desensitized to the tragedy as we went forward. How did you feel? About okay. That? Yeah, I think we're very much in this, the same place. However, in my post-viewing discussion, sure. as we say here at, at the next reel, when the movie ends, the conversation begins. My That's wife right. and I immediately began a conversation about this movie. And so based on that conversation, I sort of t- came up a little bit. So I was okay. I was probably at, as, as credits started to roll, I was at 2.5 stars. I'm now at 3 due, due to that uh, conversation. And sure. it comes in at... 327 out of 713 which okay. is a you know right right about in the middle it's about 54%. It ends up in a in a strange place uh so two spots above it is a trailer rewind film we talked about Free Fire. Yes. which is at 3 325. You sure. know, again a film that yeah there it there are things that work there are things that don't. And then just below it uh two spots below it is I think I don't know if we did the first one on the film board. I think we did the second one, but the first Jack Reacher is at, at 329. Oh, really? So, okay. So see, it's, I really it's liked the but, first Jack Reacher a lot, but then I, yeah, the second see, one was a huge disappointment for me. So Right, yeah. yeah. So, that's so those, are, those are sort of the, the films. I've got, you know, it's it's really sandwiched between two other really strange movies that yeah. I watched recently, which is just about Papillon is this really 
really intense film that you should by no means ever watch called <laughs> We Need to Talk About Kevin, uh, oh, which sure. is based on a book. It's John C. Riley, Tilda Swinton, and it's this you know whole you know school shooting thing. Oof. JJ, stay stay away. Yeah, um, and then just just below it at three twenty eight is a film called Pushover, which is a film noir that I've watched over on the Criterion Channel with with Fred McMurray, and it it was it was all right. So it sort of falls into that yeah. middling range of three star of. It there's seems things like that a work well. Spot for you. Yeah, it, it is. I don't. It, it's in that zone of in the middle. So it, it doesn't stand out as anything great. It's not something that ultimately frustrated me. It just sort of is in that forgettable zone of, yeah, I saw it. And if you ask me in a couple of years, I'll say, I remember a couple things, but ultimately, you know, not a whole lot to, to remember. I'm going to say that about that Papillon. One. That's a, 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 yes. that, that little anecdote. That's exactly how I'm going to yeah. feel about Papillon, unfortunately. So over on, on Letterboxd, it does have an average review of 3.4 based on oh. 15,600 reviews. So that's good. I would say that that's, yeah, it's right around in that, that three star range. So definitely one that I think people, uh, enjoy watching, uh, but however, again, nothing that's that's aspiring to greatness. Seven point two stars on IMDb. So okay, seven point two on IMDb, which is r- really high. Yeah, it's a high. For, side. You know, typically, yeah. yeah, that is that is the high side. So I, I'm curious to see, you know. Maybe dig into some of those reviews, see what what people really think about that. But listeners, if you think that this is your kind of film and don't want anything spoiled, this is your chance to pause the podcast and check out Papillon over on Amazon Prime and Canopy. All right, JJ. So this film that neither of us had, I guess, a strong reaction to. I mean, I I felt like it was very much in that, meh. Yeah, I watched it. Yeah, type of of camp. So I thought, well, let's let's look at what what's going on in this film because it's sure. it's really the story of this gentleman thief who is framed for a crime he didn't commit because he pocketed some jewels for a heist he was paid for. So he's you know, I don't know that I would call him a Robin Hood because he's not robbing from the rich to give to the poor. He's robbing from the crooks to build a better life for himself and his his woman. Yes, that's sort of you know sets things into action. So I think that's one of my my big struggles is we've got a guy who's wrongfully framed, you know, for this crime, but he's still a criminal. So I have to, yeah. I, you know, all throughout this, I thought, well, yeah, he's in prison, but he's a criminal. It, maybe it's more, it's it's definitely more severe than what he probably deserves, but yeah. I, I have to think about how, why am I rooting for this guy to, to get out of prison? If, if this is a prison break film, why, where's the injustice that needs to be, you know, righted with, and, with this? So. And in review, so when I watched it, I thought, I thought that the whole sequence pre- jail right so pre mm-hmm. pre going to french guyana when he's you know living up i guess it's is it the roaring 20s it, it, it has that vibe right? 20s or 30s yeah. 20s or yeah. 30s and it and and he's you know he's living it up and he's he's choosing this you know these difficult things it's a it's a it's a well shot sequence it's really beautiful everything's lit really well it's really exciting and all these things but ultimately it's it's really irrelevant to the story it doesn't really tell us anything about him as a character in regards to what the bulk of the movie is about. So it ends up being really frivolous to me, where I thought a lot about this character and all of this pre-story, but really it, it, it didn't need the time that they spent on it. They, I mean, it felt like maybe it's 10, 12 minutes. I, I, I'm just throwing out an average mm-hmm. here or, or a guess. But, yeah. um, but it really, I really expected much of the time when we get to what's going on in the prison 
that for some sort of hearkening back to it based on the attention and the and the sort of the creativity that was given to it. And other than a fever dream later on in 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 solitary, there is no real connection to that aspect of his life. So it felt very separate from the subject matter that the rest of the film takes on. And and if it is a biopic, which I mean it's based on a book that is, you know, they give the sort of detail at the end, you know, based on a true story and based on a book that's one of the greatest selling, you know, nonfiction books of of all time in France, which I think is wonderful, but if it is about this person's character, I don't know that we needed that much time on it. I could have understood, you know, that he's framed and that he's, you know, wrongfully sent away in, you know, three minutes or less, um, as far as the importance for the rest of the film. So, yeah, I understand that, you know, he's got to be the cat that, you know, we're going to save the cat, but there's just so much that's going in there to establish something that I don't think needs to actually be established. Exactly. I thought we spent all this time with, with his girlfriend and their relationship and their dream of where they're, they, you know, she has this dream of like the small place out in the country, but he, you know, you know, where, what am I going to do? I, I work in the city. So there's all this about where their future is going to be. And, that she just disappears. Yep. The same thing with the, the crime boss who frames him. I thought, okay, if this is going to be about corruption, then does this, you know, crime boss have ties to the, to the police, the military, you know, anything to show that there's this, you know, someone's pulling the strings to make his life miserable other than just framing him. But yeah, we spent all that time meeting these characters, getting to know this world. And it, it's practically irrelevant other than the fact that, setting up that he's arrested for something he did not do. Right. And that's, yeah, that, that puzzled me because I thought something is driving him to escape because that's, you know, from, from the point he's arrested, it's, he's got a, he wants to get out. Is it for, for revenge on the, the crime boss? Is it to, to get back to the, his life that he wanted to have of this do, domestic life with his girlfriend? I have no sense of either of those being a driving force for him to get out. There's no ticking clock. There's no, there's no connection to anything back in Paris. In Act 1, him. you could guess any of those things that you just said. But by the time right. we get to Act 3, it's something different entirely. And that's and that's the difficulty with the through line of the story here. I, I would love right. to, again, see the, the classic that you're talking about with McQueen and whatnot, or, or, or even yeah. read the book. But it, it, this film didn't connect those acts in a way that would allow us to understand that story, unfortunately. No, but what I think, you know, what happens next is once he's in prison, he, he hears that he's going to the penal colony, and one of the one of his fellow prisoners is a man named Louis Degas, who's a famous counterfeiter. He's a millionaire. He's been caught. He's also going there, and it's you know the thought of if I'm going to have an escape plan, it's going to cost money. This guy has money. So I'm going to do everything I can to befriend and protect him. So that's sort of Papillon's, you know, mode of operating right there. Yeah. This guy's my, my ticket out of here. So I'm going to do everything I can. And so it's really about the relationship between these two men early on. It, it, in some ways, it reminds me of uh, a romantic comedy where you've got... <laughs> You've 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 got that that lie at the core of the relationship that, right. that suddenly blows up of like you weren't really interested in me. Well, I wasn't. I was just using you, but now I really care about you. <laughs> it, it sort of felt like that. Of I'm just using Louis to you know I don't care about this guy. I've just got to keep him safe. Yeah. I've just got to. I'm going to protect him on the boat till we get to the island. I'm going to do these things so that I can get his money. And I didn't and think got it that his, way, but it totally works right. for a rom com. Right. <laughs> 
Louis got his own plan. He's his wife is working with an attorney on the outside. He's figuring I'm going to be out of here by Christmas. You know, no, right? Not, not no. going to happen. So then, once we get to the penal colony, you know, that sets up our world that we're going to be living in for the the bulk of the movie. We get it's it's you know. <laughs> Because I love high school movies, we get that orientation, right? Of like everybody's there. Here's here's the rules. Here's the people. Here's this. We you know here's the guards. Here's the mean guards that are gonna you know we're gonna see throughout the film. We get a sense of that world. It, is, it does a a very good job of establishing you know this wilderness you know penal colony. There's there's no opportunity to escape. The bush will kill you. You'll starve to death if you try to get out in the ocean. You know, there's you're you're gonna drown. Sharks, all of that stuff. Don't even try escaping. We get the rules. You know, the first time you escape, you're gonna get sent into solitary confinement for two years. The second time, you're gonna get five years, and then you're gonna be exiled to to Devil's Island for the remainder of your you know sentence. But as we learned uh, before, they were shipped out that basically they are no longer French citizens, that they will serve out their, their term of their sentence. And when their sentence is over, they're going to remain there basically to work over there. So they, they are not, there's no opportunity to return home. So right. I guess that that may be the thing that and, motivates Papillon a little bit. It's not just about serving out his sentence. Uh, even if he does serve it out, he's not, he doesn't have an opportunity to come back. It's uh, so exiled. confusing to in today's world. I shouldn't even say in today's world, but to not understand the role of the the colonizing um, Western mm-hmm. Europe, right? As as Western yeah. Europe was it was exploring the the Western Hemisphere, th- these kind of things that they did, um, and it's just so baffling to me to be like, what are they going to do? Like, what are they doing with their time? Why do they send these people to do this? But it's just another form of slave labor, right? It's yes. just like yeah. t- taking advantage of people to use them as slaves and their lives. That's one thing that they hammer home in this film, that that life, the lives of these prisoners meant nothing to anyone. What's the, a line that the warden says one time is he says something is though you're no value to, to us and, and it's no problem for us to kill you. This kind of thing. And he yes. says it much more yes. poetically than I did, but, but this kind of thing, when they kill, um, uh, Papillon's first kind of, uh, person that he, that he interacts with, with the guillotine. Yes. Yeah. He's, he says that sort of thing. And it's just, it's really, it's really stark to watch how, how humanity is just erased from these people because of, you know, because of some crime that they've been accused of or that they've committed. So it's, it's pretty terrible. Yeah, it is. And that, that beheading is actually sort of the impetus for the, the first escape attempt because Papillon uh, recognizes one of his, you know, you know, cellmates, I guess, from, from back in Paris who, you know, told him about the guy and, you know, this is the guy that is there on the boat, like, takes the knife, cuts his leg so that he cuts can be hospitalized. Yes. Cuts his own leg so that he can be hospitalized because that's his plan for escape that he puts into action right away. So when he gets caught and is marched in, everybody's in the courtyard, kneeling, Papillon stands up because he recognizes the guy, which, you know, the warden, you know, that catches his eye. So when the beheading happens, Papillon now, because the warden has, you know, singled him out, said, okay, you pick somebody, you're going to carry the body. So, of course, Oof. you know, the deal that Papillon and Degas have is that they're always going to stay together. So, they get tasked with carrying this body out, Ugh. out into the jungle, uh, because Degas is, you know, the the bookish type and not physically fit. He's always exhausted, always worn out. Right. 
Plus, plus he's grossed out. He's just flat grossed out because he's got the he's got the top end of the body. Why did so they the give blood the top just... end to Degas? You know, because it's just it's the seeping through. The stump is yes. going all over Degas. He's got, and that feels yeah. like the heavy end of the body to me. I don't yeah, understand. I, well, you that's get what the I ankles and I'll get the wrists. Like I yes. don't understand why they didn't work this out better. But yeah, it, yeah. Uh, that scene was was frustrating for me. Right. So. You know, Degas drops the body, starts getting whipped by one of the guards. Papillon, you know, clubs him in the back of the head with a rock, and no one else is around. So he just, he bolts. You know, know, he finds the guy that he talked to earlier about a boat, but he has no money. He gets turned in, sentenced, you know, to his two years of, of solitary confinement. And this, what I found very interesting is... It's while he's in this first sort of phase of his solitary confinement that we we get the context for what is actually the opening shot of the film. Because the opening shot of right. the film is is a door in the prison and a little, you know, sort of smaller door inset opens up. We see Papillon back there. He walks up and sticks his head through the door and looks around. When we find that later on, when he's actually in, you know, serving his solitary confinement, it's to get a haircut. And I thought, okay, so... <laughs> Why is this the first scene in the movie? What is this? What was this trying to hint at? Was it to show the contrast between him being in prison at the very beginning as an opening shot and then the flashback, you know, technically, I guess, to him being a free man in Paris? I don't know. I was I was waiting to see when we get to that scene because I thought, is this the a first turning point. prison break? What, yes. what What is this? Yeah, is this a critical turning point for him? No, it's he gets a haircut. It's, it's not even... It's just a really good uh, shot. A moment of revelation. It's just a really yes, good shot. Yes, I know. I mean, if from, a, from a filmmaking <laughs> perspective, the way that they shot yeah. it and the sort of the point of reference that you have of your main character being shot through this tiny hole and then having his head come out and seeing his, like fear and anticipation and anxiety and all this and and charlie hunnam does a great job of it so they i I think that's why they front-ended it with that i can't there's no story reason for it it's not i mean no why are they giving them haircuts anyway but anyway i don't know i mean (laughs) they're not french citizens anymore so they can be long hairs right like what's the deal maybe you know you know lice fleas that type of Ah. thing perhaps you know hygiene thoughtful possibly i don't know you know uh but we, we do spend a bit of time, and, and I have to, you know, give Charlie Hunnam credit, you know, for carrying this movie. I mean, it is all, yeah. all him. When he's in solitary, we don't get any scenes with Degas, what's going back in camp. We get Papillon in solitary confinement. And there's at least we, 15 minutes through his multiple runs of solitary where we are experiencing the world of Papillon without without dialogue, without any sort of, I mean, and we're seeing him go through what he goes, I mean, that's where I get this sort of castaway reference, right? Where we see him deteriorating. And I I thought Hunnam was fantastic in it. I was really impressed. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know how to show that really, you know, but he did it and he was super, it was very intense. But again, that's not what I really wanted to see when I chose this movie. <laughs> so we spent, I say 15 minutes, I, that's just a guess as yeah. well. But that's a lot of time to be spent without it, dialogue and without yes. anything going on. Yeah. I mean, because we go from just the initial, he's there, you know, the guard that he, you know, clubbed on the head comes to 
you know, take beat his pound of flesh, yep. beat, beats him up. But right after that, he, you know, in his buckets that come in, he's somebody is now sneaking him half of a coconut. So he's getting a little extra nourishment. So we see that he starts his physical exercise regimen. He's, you know, he's going to stay Motivated. fit. And then, yep. and then uh, yeah, that gets taken away from him because he's not going to, they find out about the coconuts. He won't, you know, reveal who did it. And I, this is the thing that I love about the character of Papillon because solitary confinement has, it's, it's silent. They're not supposed to talk. So when they come to interrogate him, he's just putting his finger to his lips, you know, not, not going to talk. He's not going to squeal. So they cut his rations back. He still won't talk. They put him in, in darkness. So he goes from being physically fit and wanting to maintain himself to just the, the shell of a man by yes, the, the, the end of that. He yes. is, you know, skin and bone, uh, he has this, you know, fever dream moment that shows me bits and pieces of Paris, Degas acting like a mime and some other things. And while visually interesting, doesn't tell me anything other than he's, you know, delusional. You I can know? only imagine it, that it was part of the book. Right. Because yes. it's not, again, not purposeful in the story, other to say that he's so far gone that he's having delusions now. That's right. That's all that it's there for. Yeah. Right. So then when he gets back, we autom- automatically kick into, like, second escape attempt. You know, this is the more complex, many moving parts, many people, huge scheme. We've got to drug the guards, the movie. They're going to be showing a movie. We've got to drug the guards. We've got to get through. We're going to turn off, you know, the lights will be out because of the movie. We've got to sneak along here. We're going to get to this place. There's a guy with a boat. So for me, that was the closest I got to that heist movie or the es- prison escape movie that I wanted of the plans that they set, things going wrong, not quite how do they adapt, you know, is everything going to work out, you know, for them. That was, for me, like, the peak of of the movie. It worked really, really well for that, of course. Sure. You know, they, actually, they, they do succeed in their escape. They get to the boat. On the boat, which is the tiniest boat that four guys could safely, well, yes. not even safely be on because it's, it's, got, it's got leaks, all of that. There's an argument. Uh, Degas kills a man on the boat. And the only reason I bring that up is because I think it's an important piece for his character later on, I, I'm assuming, because it's like the first like act of violence we actually see him commit. We've seen Papillon defend and stand up for and protect Degas all throughout lots of lots of brawls in the showers and the fields, yeah. you know, all of this. Degas never, you know, able to defend himself and he finally does end at the expense of a man's life. And yep. I think there there's some guilt that he carries for mm-hmm. that action uh, later on. But they, you know, so they end up getting to, you know, they shipwreck apparently because Papian wakes up and they're, where are they? They're in Colombia, but that doesn't right. last long before they're captured again. Turned in by uh, nuns. Yes, turned in by the nuns who wanted them to, to repent. Um, I don't think they really and, wanted them to repent. I just think they wanted no, them to No, I don't think captured. so. <laughs> I think so. But yeah. it's it, there's an enlightening moment because Papillon had the opportunity to escape, but yep. came back to the main settlement to warn Degas. And Degas has this like moment of enlightenment of like, you came back for me. This you know, There's this now bond that they have of, I think, Papillon feels some still some responsibility. And it, it may be due to the coconut that he's, you know, he's pretty sure that's what, you know, Degas was the one that paid to have right. sent him. But it, it's gone be- far beyond the, I'm just going to use you for the money to help me escape. There's now something deeper in this relationship by the, between these two men at this point. Yeah. And 
that's where, uh, you know, so a second capture. So then we get five years of solitary and then we get uh, exiled to, to Devil's Island. By the time Papillon gets there, he is surprised to see that Degas is there. Uh, Degas was sent there because uh, his, his, he leveraged his role as the warden's aide at the penal colony to assist with that escape attempt that the warden did, apparently didn't care for that and just sent him off. Uh, so that's where we wrap up the film is with the two of them there and Papillon figures out a way to get off the island. Uh, he, he watches the tides and if you have a small raft, the tide will actually carry you away from the island. And so what is it coconut shells and, you know, in a big and burlap bottles. bag. Yeah, all kinds of stuff. And so Kassadoff jumps. Degas says he's not going to go with him. And for me, this is where I think it's it's perhaps that guilt of the murder that he thinks he deserves to stay there uh, as a a murderer. I I, I hadn't thought that. I think it's interesting to get that from you. I think that Degas just has lost all of his religion, all hope of everything, you know, and I think, yeah. I think he was tired of fighting for something different, new, better, you know, whatever. And so he had found, I mean, he was, he was cave painting. He was doing all these things. He had found, he had found some sort of peace within himself to be there. And what it, yes, the, the line true. in the movie, which I think is great, is he said, I need to stay for the same reason yeah. you need to go. I need to stay. Um, and I get that. I think th- this whole scene and when we get to the, you know, the big moment when we're on the ridge and having Papillon throw the, the raft, the, the, the makeshift raft over and, and them, you know, if you even make the jump and stuff, I think I was really supposed to be emotionally invested at this point. Um, but I just really wasn't. I didn't. I wasn't I mean, either. They were screaming at each other, enjoy, yeah. and that they finally yeah. found like each of their freedoms in one respect or another. But I just, it, it, it didn't, it didn't play for me, and that was what I was really disappointed about. I, I think if for you to, for for anyone in the audience, for anyone to like this movie, you're going to have to care more deeply about each of these characters as they go through it, and I don't think that's easy the way this film is laid out. So. That's why I, you know, I referenced the 127 Hours or, or Castaway, these things where you really have to go on the ride with these guys. And I was, I just felt like a third person observer the whole time. And that, and that's why it didn't connect for me personally. I, it, exactly. As soon as the movie ended, I thought, wait, he escaped. I, I, I should have been like, yes, and right. cheering and this, this elation of like, after all these horrible things that have happened to him, that he's finally getting to his, his freedom. And I again, I come back to, is it because I, I think, well, he's a crook. So even though <laughs> he, you know, was framed for something, but he's still, you know, a criminal. But again, he does continue to redeem himself as a person. He, he's not selfish. He's, he is this, you know, protector of Degas, and, and that speaks to his moral character. So why, why do we not feel that? That was one of the things that really puzzled me and led to conversation my wife and I had of, like, what is this about? And she's, you know, we, I said, what is, why is it not resonating with me this way that I, I think it should of, he's free, that right. it's supposed to be a happy ending. I'm not shouting in joy with them. And I, I started, you know, we started talking about what's, what is the message that we're supposed to be taking away from this? Is it not really about the prison break? Is it about Papillon and, 
you know, fighting against corruption. And so he's finally able to escape the corrupt system. Is it about loyalty and friendship? And that by remaining true to Degas, he's actually earned this, this freedom. These are, you know, these are the sort of, you know, threads that I'm trying to, to pull, pull at to see what seems to be the, the emotional, you know, arc I should be taking or that the filmmakers want us to have in following Papillon. Yeah, and this is where it kind of fails in a character piece because we don't end up caring about them and we get get a little bit more instruction or guidance of what maybe the purpose was in the denouement where Papillon travels back to France – uh, even though he is at risk at, at a much older age, even though he is, he is at risk of being, you know, retaken into custody. And he says that he wants the book published. This is sort of the origin right. of this this famous autobiographical book. He wants the book published because he wants to tell the story of all, all the men that, you know, that went right. away to this prison. And so you get maybe that maybe it is more what you said first, which is corruption, or it is this sort of enslavement or this loss of humanity that all these people felt in the in the way that the 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 French handled their penal colonies and stuff like right. that. So but if that's the point, then we I don't know that we connected those dots emotionally. And I think that's where it it, it didn't work for me in that. And I I'd be interested to see if the McQueen and Hoffman movie did that to some degree more. But I don't think that if we're following this script or this story that we're going to get there because this it it moves in too many different ways so that we we aren't we aren't with it in step emotionally unfortunately yeah i agree because if it is really about him overcoming the corruption it's really about him escaping it he doesn't there's nothing he does that other than writing the book you know which again it says that you know he out he outlived the you know the whole penal colony system and and all yeah. of that yeah but we never see the consequences we never see the i guess that's the the punishment of those that are corrupt you know wh- how do how do they that you know made him miserable we don't see them there's no justice served other than he escapes and he publishes a book and that's really hard i think to connect to emotionally because we have these characters we have the warden we have the one guard that comes in to to beat up Papillon during uh, his first stint in solitary confinement we never really see anything bad that happens to them they don't you know they're set up as I guess pawns within this huge system, but I think emotionally what we want in a story is this person represents that system so we can get our vengeance, we can get our justice through something happening to that person and we'll feel like vindicated of like, yes, he at least was able to get that accomplished. And we, again, we never see any of that. It's all about his escape. And again, that's where I wonder, is it trying to accomplish something different? But for me, it's not clear what, what the takeaway is, what, you know, and, Perhaps because the first version of the film came out in 73, and I think the book was like 1970, so it was right after that. So it was still very fresh in sort of this revelation of what this was. If that had more of an emotional resonance in the world with this story of pulling back the curtain on something that no one knew about, maybe that had a different context back in the 70s versus now just being so distanced from that. This isn't something that recently, you know, was was in the news or something that, you know, came to light of, oh, we had this, you know, I mean, the the closest thing I can think of is something like the report 
um, that you know is the, the torture report about everything that the CIA was doing. You know, if sure. it's supposed to have that type of cultural relevance, I think that's challenging to do. You know, well, from an years emotional later. standpoint, yeah. I, w- I wonder. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of I kind of connect it to something like Shawshank Redemption, and you yes. think about yeah. like that potentially because the source material is based on a true story that there's this sort of allegiance to what's in the source material, which you know yeah. neither of us know, but. Telling the story in a creative way that would allow us to uh, understand a different frame of reference and a different emotional standpoint, it would have been helpful in this. But instead, we have this sort of, again, this sort of uh, barrier, a journalistic barrier to what's happening because of the autobiographical nature of the story. Whereas in Shawshank, you know, the the narrator is is uh, Morgan Freeman, and he's he has a perspective. He has a personal perspective of being in prison. He has, you know, the the perspective of the, then the escape and what is truly freedom and what it means to be exonerated and what it means to, you know, to find freedom and to experience the corruption when you're in the jail and yet still fight for your own freedom in this. And it's just told in a different sort of way because you have the freedom of fiction <laughs> in the Shawshank Redemption. Yes, yes. Whereas yeah. here, I feel like because they're st- trying to stay true to something that, again, the first shot of the film is a card that says based on a true story. That's the first thing that we get here. So that tells you the sort of importance to the filmmakers of the biographical nature of this story. And I think um, Shawshank is, is a classic too. I mean, it's, it's a movie that is, that is well loved by everyone and, and, and totally deservedly so. Um, but it has more of an emotional hit than, than anything in this movie, unfortunately, even while this is based on the, on real life. Yeah. And that is, I think often the, the challenge of a true story of the, Desire to stay true to the facts as as they happened, as opposed to what is going to best work dramatically. And right. again, knowing that it's based on a novel, and I always have to think, how reliable is our narrator? How oh, much nice. are things, you know, <laughs> yeah. especially when 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 it, he is a thief, yes. uh, you know, how much is it exaggerated to make himself, you know, look good? I I don't know, but overall, I mean, there are so many solid moments to this there are there are parts of this that i think it that work in isolation there are you know again it's beautifully shot you know charlie hunnam's performance i think i can see why he was attached to this project this is something that featured role carrying the film you've got those those moments in solitary confinement that is there's no words it's all in the physicality of that performance and there are so few opportunities to do something like that and unfortunately whether it's in the editing or, you know, I don't know where things went flat for this, because there there are really excellent pieces. But overall, yes, the tone of it just left me feeling, you know, with nothing really. I didn't I didn't yeah. have an emotional reaction to this, and I, I felt it deserved that from the long torturous experience that Papillon goes through. That I wanted to be celebrating more than I did, but I. Uh, overall, if it's something that you're that people are interested, in, I would say, yeah, I'm I'm not going to discourage you from watching. I think there are people that may connect with it or may find it, a, you know, an enjoyable, you know, entertainment for you know two hours to to pass some time, but clearly not something that I I'm going to going to return to 
again. It has made me seek out, you know, where can I find, you know, the original, which apparently is, as of today, available on HBO Max. So I may have to Very check nice. that out in the next week or two to, to do a little comparison to see what works so well in the 1973 version uh, if it's the performances, if there's differences in the story or structure that have led that to become that the celebrated classic that it is. Yep, yep. I think, and and I'm just scrolling through the IMDb reviews while you have here, and even though it has that high number at 7.2, the majority of the reviews are saying, just see the original. <laughs> just see the original. Okay. Uh, I mean, some there was like a one-word review that said unnecessary. So <laughs> Yeah, well, and, and that's, that is the challenging piece. And yeah, I would say this is, yeah. That, that's accurate. It's not anything that I feel this is a must-see film uh, f- by any stretch of the imagination. The, no. the, you know, it's one that if I had never seen, I would not feel that I've missed out on anything yep, with this same. one. Um, uh, anything in the cinematography. I mean, we do have that, uh, you know, that unique sort of fever dream sequence. We have the sort of hallucinated safe in the wall. Some interesting visuals in there, but I didn't know if there was any particular camera movements or things that, that caught your eye. Well, all the wide stuff that – there isn't a whole lot of wide stuff in this movie, I'll say first yeah. of all. But the wide stuff that uh, is shown when they are in the uh, prison yard looking up at the warden and the movement that the camera does to show the volume of people there and how they're being treated and all the movements there that kind of show this piece. I couldn't tell if it was, you know, I, 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 looking at the credits, it looks like it was shot somewhere in like Croatia, Croatia or something like that. Um, so it, but it looked like it was a location suit shoot and they really took advantage of the sets through that stuff. So everything with the guillotine, everything that was in that yard, I think was really powerfully shot. Um, and uh, uh, they really utilized the environment. When we get to Devil's Island, I thought everything showing that particular evil scary place was very effective. The camera was very effective there. And when it got to that big decision-making point, even though I wasn't emotionally invested, as we get to the ledge that is really the the boundary to freedom for these guys, um, that was really effective for me too. There's one particular shot where we go with Papillon as he walks to the edge and the, the, the ocean, the blue of the ocean is really revealed to us by the camera. And I think that was really powerful. But in general, I think we could see more of that stuff. Um, when it was used, it was effective. But most of the stuff is shot really tight and is really focused on the characters, which, again, I think uh, ended up being flat, unfortunately. I say we at least on uh, you know I, I feel like we're one for three on our you know sort of single you know single name you know series Agreed. here between Tesla Loose and uh, Papillon. I'd say yep. definitely of the of the three, Loose is the must see film. It is, and I lunch. agree. I think it is a must see. It goes into my my trailer rewind bucket of this is one that people have to see if they're into that kind of movie for sure. We'll see what happens in our next trio of films that we'll, we'll be del- delving into. But I want to thank everybody here for listening to Trailer Rewind. Anything we said here entertained, educated, or even enraged you, we'd like you to tell people about this podcast. Whatever your podcast listening platform is, please share, rate, or write a review. It helps other podcast listeners find us. Don't forget to join our online community with fellow movie lovers. Learn more at truestory.fm. And if you are interested in supporting us to help keep the lights on and get some great benefits while you're at it, head to truestory.fm slash membership. Yeehaw! Hondo.
I love the conversations that so many of our hosts have had on their shows. Steve and JJ on Trailer Rewind, Ray and Ocean on Silver Linings, even Tommy's short-lived No, No, Wait, Hear Me Out. And so many films they've discussed started out as a book, a play, or even a TV series. Well, now you can support our whole family of podcasts by using our new Originals page to buy the original source material used to inspire films covered on our shows. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these fantastic conversations. It's a wonderful way to support the show. Producing these podcasts week after week require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, try using our originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy the book, play, video game, movie, etc. upon which the movie is based. Original material for trailer rewind movies like If Beale Street Could Talk, The Goldfinch, Aniara, or The Two Faces of January, or Silver Linings movies like Repo Men, which was based on the repossession Mambo. Plus, by using those links to buy books, Amazon and Apple show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals. It's a fantastic way to support the show and find a great book to read. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to find your next read and get started today. Mm-hmm.